Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Check out our amazing offers on Xfinity Internet. You'll get fast speed and Wi-Fi coverage you can count on. Plus, get advanced security free with the x Gateway, so you can keep the connected devices in your home protected from network threats. Just log in and activate through the Xfinity app. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. Presented by SeatGeek, the best way to buy Chicago White Sox tickets. Download the SeatGeek app on your smartphone today and save $20 off your first purchase by using promo code SOXMACHINE. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and this is the week of June 18th, 2018. On this week's show, we'll be recapping this weekend's series as the White Sox, for whatever reason, can't beat the Detroit Tigers at home this year. They were swept. They're 0-6 against the Tigers at home. They're 1-8 overall against Detroit now this year. And now their season record is 24-46, and and the month of June record is 8-9. and So there is still a shot of getting to 500 in the month of June as far as the month of games. But there's work to be done as the White Sox have a tough week ahead playing three games in Cleveland before coming back home for the weekend series where they'll have four games against the Oakland Athletics. We'll preview the Indian series later on in the show. Also this week, it's the minor leagues all-star breaks, which give us an opportunity to gauge on how well the White Sox top prospects are faring. We'll be handing out our awards for best prospect of the first half, best hitter and pitcher for the first half, the out of nowhere award, and the most improved player for the White Sox minor leagues. Of course, at the end, we'll answer your questions in P.O. Sox. Joining me is the co-host of the podcast and managing editor of SoxMachine.com. It's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. It was great to see you this weekend. Yes. Great to talk to you in person. Which is a uh, which is a nice change of pace. 
it was great to meet everyone. Thank you to those that joined us for Saturday's game. Mm-hmm. Laura was there. Richard was there. Anahito was there. Yinka was there. Reindeer Games was there. I am sure I'm missing and forgetting people because I have just a horrible memory. But then we had a blast at the ballpark pub uh, for the after party that we co-hosted with the Section 108 guys. And always a fun time with them. Big shout out to them. Thank you so much for organizing as far as the location, especially when we were thrown a curveball when Baderbrow... Uh, no yep. longer is a company anymore, uh, which is sad on the beer front and a great place to hang out on the south side front. Uh, but also Kevin Powell from WGN, who was on this podcast earlier this year. Uh, he was our special guest, and uh, it was fun. It was fun to talk about the White Sox and hang out with everybody after the game, even though the White Sox lost. And uh, hopefully we'll do more of those things uh, maybe later this year. If it would be interesting to do that, uh, but especially for 2019, it would be great to do that. Watching a Nick Madrigal at bat together, and that was <laughs> that was my favorite part of the uh, <laughs> the whole thing. Everybody, the whole bar goes quiet to watch Madrigal come to the plate in College World Series. First thing he does is shows bunt, pulls it back. The runner at first gets picked <laughs> off, and it looks like he fits right into uh, what the rebuild looks like right now. Yep, he's ready. He is ready to join the Chicago White Sox. No, it was it was an absolute blast. So thank you to all that made it. And if you didn't get a chance to go, do not worry. We, we will host another event like that uh, in the near future. But to recap the Detroit Tigers series, and as I mentioned in the intro, Jim, the White Sox were swept again at home against Detroit. Uh, Nick Castellanos, he had a big weekend. Uh, he yep. had three home runs and drove in seven runs. And and in all three games, Jim, the White Sox were in striking distance. They had opportunities to take the lead late. But the offense is having a tough time finding luck with runners in scoring position and two outs. It just seems that that extra base hit that they are looking for is not there. On top of that, in the month of June, so we're 17 games into this month, the White Sox as a team have nine home runs. That seems pretty low, especially when the weather has been warming up. Any ideas on why we are witnessing a power outage from the White Sox? Well, there are a few reasons. One is that Matt Davidson Davidson did homer on Sunday, so that was good to see. But you know he hadn't looked right since he came back from the DL. Same thing with Yohan Moncada. His timing has been off. Uh, watching him um, on Sunday, went to the game with my dad for Father's Day, and uh, he pointed out, and, and he phrased it a good way, you know, in, in terms of Moncada's patience. He said like he really only gets one swing in the bat with the way he approaches the, uh, yeah, just his plate discipline right now is is um, being used against him because pitchers right now haven't found a reason to be afraid of him, so they just, you know, pile on the strikes. He's down 0-1, down uh, 1-2, you know, down 0-2. He's got these just bad counts and often back to a corner, and he isn't, he doesn't have the hit tool to hit his way out of that corner yet the way, like, say, Jose Abreu does, so... You know, that's one there. So I think th- those two guys, you can point to injuries. Other cases, when you look at the lineup and the bench, um, you know, say like when you have Kevin Smith hitting third, as he did on Sunday, <laughs> and Adam Engel hitting sixth, and then you have the you know, the back lineup um, was um, on Saturday, I think was Engel, Thompson, Tilson, and, and maybe in that order. 
uh, or, or you know, maybe flip uh, Tilson and Thompson. But yeah, we've saw, and on Sunday it was Tilson and Thompson being the back of the order, and those guys aren't home run threats. And I think um, you know when you look at you say Engel's production. Engel showed some pop last year. That's not there this year. Uh, Sanchez's home run burst from last year hasn't carried over. It's carried over into triples, just not homers. And it seems like that the ball isn't, you know, maybe the ball was more juiced last year. You know, the same thing with Nicky Delmonico. Maybe his power problems were just that he benefited from a special uh, cluster of circumstances that aren't available this year. And so he's not hitting homers and Engel's not hitting homers. And it really just, you, you have... Abreu and you have Davidson and maybe Daniel Palka when he's not uh, in a rut and and that's it. So they're really the bench is short. They could use Avi back and they could use another position player just because we saw um, you know over the weekend that the White Sox only have four outfielders and when they DH Palka like they did on Sunday they have no reserve outfielders to pinch hit late in games. So it's just a thin bench. It's injuries. It's everything. Well, I'm glad you brought up Avi because in his rehab stint with the Charlotte Knights. This past week, he's six for 17 hitting with three doubles, a home run. He's driven in six runs. He has seven strikeouts, three walks. It appears that based on his play, that Avi is ready to rejoin the White Sox. Obviously, his numbers in Charlotte don't mean a thing uh, because we know that Avi can crush AAA pitching and do very well in Charlotte. But if Avi's ready to go, Jim, and he's ready to join the White Sox lineup, which I think they really need him at this point, uh, it does raise a question. Who draws the short straw and is either DFA'd or optioned back to Charlotte to make room for Avi? Well, for a while I was thinking that Tilson might be the guy optioned down just because he would benefit more from everyday at-bats in Charlotte. He still, you know, I, I think he's close to what he can be in triple a um yeah then there's a growing period on top of that in the majors so you know he's not i wouldn't say he's reached his final format or as close to that you know the the guy who could be a second division starter in center field for a team i think uh you know watching trace over the last week or so and just kind of getting you affirm know, that he's not offering anything at the plate he's not much of a defender i mean he's an okay defender but not nearly enough to offset all the defensive problem or offensive problems I, I don't know how he has a future in the majors at this point, even if Tilson is somebody who has to ride the bench. Um, it, it, it seems like he's just not qualified to play in the majors right now. And if the White Sox tried to you know, put him on waivers or tried to send him to Charlotte, they probably could because he's um, you know, not even challenging the Mendoza line. Yeah, his OPS is below 400. I'm just so disappointed. I, I had high hopes, Jim. I Not that high of hopes, but I did hope that perhaps with Thompson rejoining the White Sox, that he could be someone that'd be hovering around a 700 OPS and demonstrate that he's better than Adam Engel. That's kind of what I was hoping for, was that Trace Thompson could join the White Sox and prove that he's better than Adam Engel, and that the White Sox could possibly send Engel down to Charlotte to get more reps there and to work on things instead of try to work on his swing mechanics in the major leagues and struggle but obviously, <laughs> that never came to fruition. And I would have to agree with you to say that Thompson is going to be... I, I'd be shocked, Jim, if Thompson is still with the White Sox after this week. Yeah, it was, it was funny. At the game, on the scoreboard, they have the various splits rotating um, on the screen. on the Behind left field, the left field scoreboard, they will go through a player stats based on the situation he's in and so forth. And Thompson's first at bat... They showed his day game splits, and he's three for fifty-five in day games, and now he's three for fifty-nine. <laughs> it just 
<laughs> and he's only batting one, and that's that's a batting average of 055 he came in the game with. But then you look at his night game splits, and it's 176. So, I mean, like, no matter how you carve up his numbers, it's either bad or abysmal. <laughs> Oh, man. Well, it appears that Louis Garcia is coming right behind Avi, too. So he's starting to get some action down at Charlotte. Uh, so it appears that before the end of June, Rick Hahn's going to have to make two moves. And as the saying goes, you don't have to be the fastest to outrun the bear. You just have to be faster than the other guy who's running with you <laughs> than the bear. Uh, and Trace is that guy. Yeah, Trace right now is in last. Uh, but for Charlie Tilson, Adam Engel, everybody else that can claim that they're an outfielder on the roster, if Lurie Garcia and Avi Garcia rejoin the team before the end of June, uh, a couple of these guys are not going to be in Chicago as we enter in July. Speaking of Rick Hahn, Jim, Scott Greger of the Northwest Herald wrote about how Rick Hahn would like to be active in this upcoming trade deadline. We are just six weeks away from the trade deadline, um, believe it or not. Obviously, it's hard to tell how the trade market will shake out, but how active can the White Sox be before July 31st? Not very, or at least not in a compelling way. I don't think they're going to be anybody's first option uh, when it comes to trading. I, I, you know, They're not going to be the headline. You know, like Say with Jose Quintana last year, any team wanting a rotation upgrade wanted to talk to the White Sox. So, you know, James Shields could maybe be a rotation upgrade somehow. Like, you know, maybe if a team is really struggling to find a fifth starter, um, you know, maybe he can be that guy, but he's not going to be somebody who can start in a playoff game, you know, feasibly, um, unless the team's really in trouble. So, uh, you know, same thing with the bullpen. They're not offloading, you know, some major bullpen talent. Maybe they can move Xavier Cedeno or, um, yeah, I, don't, I think Nate Jones out of the question. You know, Bruce Rondon, kind of iffy. Joaquin Soria, he's probably a guy who can, they can move, but I don't know if he's going to be anybody's first choice the way that, you know, um, guys like Robertson and Swarzak, you know, might have been, and, and Canely might have been. So I think he can be active, but I think it's going to be a quieter brand of active unless Jose Abreu is moved. And I have a feeling that's going to be the same stalemate as it was over the winter. What do you think about, especially after this weekend, I, I'm really impressed with how Xavier Cedeno has been pitching since joining the White Sox. And now I can see where, okay, it makes sense why they optioned Aaron Bummer to Charlotte to call up Xavier Cedeno because Cedeno is striking out guys. He, he's getting left-handers out. And as you mentioned, obviously that is no team's plan A, right? It seems like July 30th and July 31st is when you want to get your loogies uh, before the deadline ends. Uh, could mm-hmm. Cedeno be a guy, Jim, that could be moved before July 31st? If he continues pitching the way he is now, certainly. And I think, you know, he's not going to be the Robertson Canley grade of interest, but maybe somewhere between Swarzak and Jennings. Um, you know, finding someone, either a player who had been blocked, you know, wasn't going to be, uh, was going to be a potential 40 man casualty over the off season or, you know, just ran out of chances or opportunities like Ryan Cordell did with uh, Milwaukee or, you know, Casey Gillespie in, in Tampa. I think it's gonna be that great of return. Um, and unfortunately, you know, it would have been nice, you know, had Cordell not broken, uh, his collarbone, we might've had an idea of what that kind of trade can lead to a depth chart. But unfortunately, you know, that didn't happen. So Ryan Cordell right now is just more of a theoretical roster placeholder who doesn't, um, you know, we just don't really know what he could have offered. 
Yeah, that's just bad luck, isn't it? It's really bad luck, especially yeah. for Ryan Cordell, because he could have had this really extended window. He could have had a month in Chicago to prove his worth instead of White Sox fans watching Trace Thompson struggle and continue to be in the lineup because Rick Renteria and Rick Hahn don't have any other options until guys get healthy again. And we'll see if the White Sox make a roster move as we transition to previewing the upcoming series in Cleveland. As the White Sox head to Cleveland to face the Indians, the Indians are 37-33 and 33 on the year. They are just two and a half games ahead of Detroit, Jim. Detroit is 36 and 37. They better be sending fruit baskets to the White Sox <laughs> because that 8 and 1 record against the White Sox is really helping them at the moment. Um, but I digress. While the Tigers will be rooting for the White Sox to sweep the Indians, uh, Cleveland will be looking to get back on track against the White Sox. If you recall, last week the White Sox and Indians split a four-game series. And your pitching probables for your Monday and Tuesday game, these are at 6.05 p.m. Central Time. It'll be Dylan Covey on Monday against Trevor Bauer. On Tuesday, it'll be Carlos Rodon against Mike Clevenger. And getaway day, that game is going to be at 12.10 p.m. Central Time on Wednesday. It will be Ronaldo Lopez against Corey Cooper. And Jim, I don't have a good feeling about this series, especially with the way the White Sox (laughs) played this weekend against Detroit and the fact that this series is going to be on the road. Uh, The White Sox will not be avoiding Kluber this time around, but he did not pitch all that well in his last start against the Twins. And we do have a repeat of previous pitching matchups with Covey and Bauer and Rodon against Clevenger. How do you feel about this upcoming series? Not great, um, you know, for the reasons you mentioned, but especially like, say, Clevenger, you know, even if Avi comes back, Avi, I don't think, is the kind of guy who has a whole lot of success against a righty with Clevenger stuff. So I'm not, I'm expecting, I guess, more of the same, but I'm hoping that Avi is back in the lineup and that just changes the complexion of the lineup a little bit because watching, you know, the lineup cards, you know, looking at the bench, you know, watching the, the, and especially like in the late innings, watching the lineup crawl towards the six, seven, eight, nine spots. It's just bleak. And especially like say on Sunday when, when um, Renteria wanted to give a Brayu a day off and, you know, he deserves a day off because he's been good and working hard. And, you know, he, he uh, did have a little bit of a rough game the day before. And, you know, but when you have a three man bench and you have only three outfielders at your disposal, but that game, because Paul is on the, on the bench and you have Thompson hitting for himself and Tilson hitting for himself when the game's on the line, it's just, uh, not a whole lot of fun, and and I think we saw with the Tigers series what we noticed with the Red Sox and Indian series, that, the, that they were very good at clustering their heads together and making the most out of a little offense, and I think this Tigers series shows what happens when uh, a little offense and a lack of big hits and great contact, um, you know, that's usually how it manifests itself in coming up short. Carlos Rodon will be making his third start this week. What are you hoping to see from him? I'm hoping for a livelier fastball early. It seems like it takes him a couple innings to warm up and, and loosen up and get his fastball up to 94, 95, 96. So I think uh, you know, having a, a you know more life on his stuff early would be better. And then just, you know, uh, I would say um, along with that, just increases in command, uh, throwing his slider you know, the way he wants to in the count, whether it's the kind that grabs strikes or the kind that puts it away, um, you know, putting that package together earlier. Um, it seems like... Um, 
he, he was a little bit frustrated with himself and he's not trying to uh, use Russ as an excuse. And, and I, I think given how little time he's had and how he, he's having a late spring training and everything like that, it seems like, you know, it is a valid excuse, but um, you know, as he goes and start to start, I think it'd just be nice to just see that peak velocity show up a bit earlier and, or maybe not peak, but at least near peak where, you know, he still has a little bit left to reach for in the fourth and fifth inning. He's not topping like, like with uh, Lucas Giolito topping out early and then, you know, having it slowly drip away. I don't think that's great for Odon, but, you know, finding some kind of medium where he isn't 91-90 with a two sinker in the middle of the zone, he can get up to at least 93 in the first inning. At least show that early. Yeah, hopefully the defense plays well behind him as that seems yeah. to be problematic as well. And if he can get through six innings, that would be a victory in my book as he's only been able to get through five in his first two starts. Yeah, the, de- the defense was fine against Detroit, you know, more or less. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, they turned some nice double plays. They executed a couple nice rundowns on Sunday. I think that was the highlight of Sunday was, um, you know, the infield making plays and and. and even with uh, without a Brayu at first base, able to execute a complex rundown with a minimum of throws. Um, that was I'm trying to think what the it was one, five, two, four double play, yep. and it was perfectly executed. Shields ran the guy back, Yomer ran the guy. You know, Smith ran him all the way back to third. It was good communication. So I mean, I think the defensive issues, aside from maybe uh, flaring up a game or two, I think maybe that's calming down a little bit. But yeah, some guys. Uh, uh, Covey's had it, Rodon's had it. You know, some guys seem to uh, get the bad defense more than others. We'll recap the Indian series later this week on Wednesday night on Sox Machine Live. Jim and I are going to take a quick break, but when we come back, it'll be our minor league baseball first half recap for the Chicago White Sox affiliates and our midseason awards on the Sox Machine podcast. Buying tickets can be complicated and confusing, but there is a better way to buy with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every type of live event. Whether you're searching for a last minute deal, planning a night out with friends, or need to find the perfect gift, SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone. As I mentioned all the time, I use it to buy White Sox tickets, got great deals, for four tickets to go to Jim Tomey Bobblehead Day on August 11th. Also got four seats for September when the Angels come into town. Thanks to SeatGeek, I can get the most bane for my buck using their deal score, which I absolutely love this feature. Deal score searches multiple ticket sites to find you the best price. And every purchase is fully guaranteed so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. And by making SeatGeek your go-to app, for finding the best deals in every type of ticket. And it's just not sports. You could use it for concerts, to comedy, and even theater as well. And the best part is Sox Machine listeners get to save in a couple of ways until the end of June. One is if you've never used SeatGeek before, enter promo code SOXMACHINE when you download the app or you go to SeatGeek.com. And with promo code SOXMACHINE, you save $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. To the end of June, you could also save $10 off for all Major League Baseball ticket purchases. So if you have used Geek before, you could use this promo code MACHINE. That's promo code MACHINE to save $10 off on all Major League Baseball tickets, whether on the SeatGeek app or on SeatGeek.com. If you love playing daily fantasy sports like I do, then I have to tell you about my new favorite DFS app, Draft. 
What makes Draft unique, unlike DraftKings or FanDuel, is you actually get to draft your team. Games are 3-12 to 12 people with a snake-like draft for your team for that day. Contests are as cheap as $1 to play, and there are no salary cap restrictions. Simply pick the five best players, one pitcher, two infielders, two outfielders, and you get a chance to win some money. And I've also won some money, and unlike other DFS sites, there is no minimum withdrawal amount for draft, and they pay out to PayPal. You can collect your winnings within two business days, which is much, much faster than other sites. I've been running daily baseball contests all season long on draft called the Sox Machine Challenge. And if you are an avid DFS player or would be interested in participating in daily fantasy sports, download the draft app in the App Store or the Google Play Store and use our promo code SOXMACHINE for a free $3 contest entry when you make your first deposit. Again, that promo code is SOXMACHINE for a free $3 contest entry. Look for me in the draft app at SoxMachine underscore Josh, all lowercase. And I look forward to competing against you in fantasy baseball all season long on draft. The minor league season is hitting their mid-season. AAA is weird. They're having their all-star game on Wednesday, July 11th. And then the following day on July 12th, the Knights have to travel to Durham the next day to continue the second half. So that's what makes this weird. But then again, you have the Futures game and AAA is trying to coordinate it along with the Major League Baseball All-Star game. Regardless, AAA is weird. The other leagues, AA, Vance, A-Ball, they have their All-Star games this Tuesday, June 19th. And AA, Birmingham is actually hosting the All-Star game. Zach Collins will be participating in the Home Run Derby on Monday, June 18th. Advance A is having their All-Star game in Zebulon, June 19th. And the Sally League is having their All-Star game at Greensboro. They say wins don't matter in the minor leagues for future success. But it is still great to say that the Winston-Salem Dash are first-half division winners and will be playing in the postseason this September. Canapolis was in great shape, but they lost their last five games of the first half and then lost the division by a single game to the Lakewood Blue Claws. But there is still a chance for Canapolis in the second half. They could either win the division or if they finish in second again and have the best overall record of not winning a division, they'll clinch the wild card in the Sally League and make the postseason that way. Your AA All-Stars, Zach Collins, Aloy Jimenez, Sebi Zavala, Danny Mendick, Ian Hamilton, and Dane Dunning. For your Vance A All-Stars from Winston-Salem, Dylan Cease, Bernardo Flores, Matt Foster, Luis Basabe, and Joel Booker. And for Canapolis, their All-Stars are Blake Banfield, Jake Elliott, Tyler Johnson, Tate Blackman, Laz Rivera, Luis Gonzalez, and Craig Didilo. Obviously, in any rebuild, there is a lot of attention on how well the players are performing. And that's why we'll be handing out our awards for the following. Best prospect of the first half, best hitter and pitcher of the first half, the out of nowhere award, which is a prospect that we had no clue who they were, and they just suddenly surprise and have a terrific start to 2018, and the most improved prospect. And Jim, before we start dishing out our awards, I just wanted to get your feeling about the White Sox farm system in general, because obviously every single day you write up the minor league recap and you do a great job of keeping us informed on the prospects that we should be paying attention to whether it is top end performances or these are the highly ranked prospects according to other publications and other minds within the game how would you 
I not necessarily grade the entire farm system because I don't think that'd be fair, but how would you evaluate the White Sox minor leagues to date? It's been an okay season. I think it's been a little bit disappointing at the very top um, with Eloy Jimenez. Not not personally Eloy Jimenez, but the fact that he's still in Birmingham. Uh, Alec Hansen missing most of the first half until showing up on Saturday for his first start. Luis Robert missing a lot of action. Um, Michael Kopech looking shaky. It's just, you know, it's the, the top of the top has been not quite delivering on the whole. Um, and I think Jimenez that, you know, I would say Jimenez, it's not his fault. It's circumstances. It's super two. It's whatever, what have you. And, and hopefully we'll be in Charlotte pretty soon, but, um, you just, you can't quite, uh, um, you know, they haven't generated the kind of groundswell that you think is going to be like a, a wave, the wave that they represented. On the other hand, Zach Collins has bounced back nicely offensively. Dane Dunning is making strides. He's handled double uh, A really well. Dylan Cease is developing. You know, that kind of underlayer of prospects is is firming up a little bit. You know, Luis Pasabe coming back from his knee injury and, and looking like he's full strength. There's a lot of, uh, you know, promising performances underneath that that kind of give you the idea that there's some depth in the organization just the star power right now isn't quite delivering and hopefully in the second half we'll start to see more of that so let's go down our five awards we'll start with the best prospect of the first half who would get that award from you jim going with eloy jimenez i also agree with eloy jimenez i think a lot of people would agree with eloy jimenez just by his numbers, even though he missed significant time, his slash line is 317, 368. He's slugging 556. He still came away with 27 extra base hits. He's got 10 home runs on the year with 42 runs batted in. His strikeout rate is only 17.5%, and his walk rate is at 8%. I think, Jim, he's got nothing left to prove. I've been saying this for a month. Eloy Jimenez had nothing left to prove with Birmingham. And it would be great, though, that he's going through the All-Star Game festivities in Birmingham. I'm sure he'll be a big draw to that game. And it'll be very exciting for the folks in Birmingham. But on June 21st, Jim, he needs to be in Charlotte. I'm sorry. He just needs to be in Charlotte. Charlotte would like him. <laughs> they could use sure, yeah. some, uh, some of that uh, some of that talent. Yes. Now, is there anything in particular that you can think of that he needs to work on from that transition from double A to triple A. Not really. I mean, even when he's kind of in a lull, you know, where he's not posting, you know, or he's not making Kurt Bloom, uh, you know, Kurt Bloom's head explode. Uh, <laughs> it, it seems like he's just, uh, he has a very high floor, you know, that he doesn't manage to you know, maybe goes hitless for a couple of games in a row, but then bounces back. Doesn't have the massive strikeout ruts that somebody like Zach Collins has, even though Collins has been able to limit that himself more, more and more this year. So, uh, it just seems like a very polished hitter. The strikeout rate is fantastic for his age and level. Uh, the walk rate being average is also progress. So, yeah, bring him up to Charlotte, see if uh, they do anything to him. But um, hopefully, you know, he's on track for a September call-up, if not sooner, because, you know, I'm, I'm hoping he goes to Charlotte. Charlotte's small ballpark makes his power numbers look even more ridiculous, and there's no reason to keep him down there. But uh, given how slow the White Sox were in, in promoting him, or the fact that they haven't promoted him to Charlotte, and, you know, they've been very conservative all around, uh, September might be the cautiously optimistic forecast for Jimenez this year. I want Jimenez to have a stupid month of July in Charlotte where he hits like 450 with 10 home runs. Yeah. 
That'd be fun. And then every single day, Rick Hahn will hear it from the beat reporters. When are you going to call him up? When are you going to call him up? Like every single day, because then you'll be really forcing the issue. And uh, it'll be a lot of fun to to watch that uh, in Charlotte. Best hitter the first half, again, what just based on I recited and the fact that if you look at the history of AA for White Sox prospects, and I wrote about this in April, Birmingham is a wall. It is not a hurdle. Either you are able to climb over it and be successful or you run smack into the wall and you fall down. And we see that through the years as far as some of the top White Sox prospects. And he's the best hitter. Eloy Jimenez gets my award as well for best hitter the first half. Do you have somebody else other than Eloy Jimenez, Jim, for best hitter? Nope. All right. So let's move over to best pitcher the first half. So I think the hitter was easy. I think there are some options here that you can go with for best pitcher the first half. Who do you have? going to go with Dylan Cease. I had to give him some thought, but Cease is the guy I ended up with. Um, How about you? I went with Dane Dunning for how yep. he has handled double A. I think it's, you know, we can call it a toss up. We can call it a tie and give it to both. And I think there would be no problem doing, doing that just because it has been very impressive what Dylan Cease has been doing. And the fact that he's been able to get deeper into games, has he alleviated any concerns for you, Jim, of being a starter long-term? He's answered the question so far, and I think both, you know, I, I wrestled with Dunning too, and I think both of those guys have the case where they address the most pressing issues. With Dunning, it was, can he handle the jump to Charlotte or Birmingham? Because we saw him pitch well in Winston-Salem last year. It was very conservative of the White Sox to keep him with the dash this year as long as they did. Had a couple, you know, rough starts, and, or at least human starts in Birmingham, but he bounced back. He's been... Uh, throwing some some terrific outings his last couple times out so um yeah that's certainly a qualified choice there i just went with cease just because i think his range of outcomes was more varied uh, with his health problems the way he was shut down at the end of last year with shoulder fatigue um the way he's been limited um to you know five innings at most with the cubs and the white Sox last year um, yeah, he could have thrown what he's thrown this year, and he could have maybe shown up for 30 innings and you know, had a DL stint and you know, had some short outings and still be kind of working through kinks like the way uh, Alec Hansen is. And, and it would have been, you know, both would have been in his history. So the fact that he's achieved on the upper end of his spectrum and that it looks like he can go to Birmingham and you know, he's, he's built up the innings enough in Winston-Salem that even if he, you know, Birmingham makes him work harder and he ends up throwing, you know, more four and five inning starts. He'll still set a career high in workload. He'll still you know, push the innings ahead and set himself up nicely for a nice full year in Birmingham in uh, 2019. Yeah, that's going to be a good test for Dylan Seas because his stuff is just so awesome, Jim. I mean, even in double A, those hitters are going to have an incredibly tough time against Dylan Seas. So he could still find that success. And you're right. It's all about as far as how deep he can get going to games, if he can take the ball every fifth day, if he can get stronger and stay healthy, then yeah, we could be shifting because I'm still, I have like the toe in the pool gym, if that makes sense, where I still think long-term he's going to be a nasty reliever coming out of the bullpen with that fastball slider combo. But I, mm-hmm. I you know, he's... He's proven it in Winston-Salem. If he could do that in Birmingham, then I'm willing to put both feet in and go into the pool 
and believe that, yes, Dylan Cease can be developed into a starting pitcher, maybe a back-end rotation guy. But, I mean, if you look at a team like the Houston Astros, they got Lance McCullers uh, that's in the back end of the rotation, and that just makes that rotation very deep, and it seems like you can never get a break against the Astros. And right now they're on 11-game winning streak. So if Cease could be one of those guys where – he could be a fourth or fifth starter for the White Sox because the other starting prospect pitching prospects develop better. Uh, that's also a great plan that the White Sox could possibly be getting. With Dane Dunning, the reason I give it to Dunning overseas in 10 starts, a 2.78 ERA. His strikeout rate, I think, is strong for this level. 65 strikeouts to 58 in a third innings pitched. He's only allowed 52 hits and 19 walks. So he's keeping that whip really low. And, you know, it just seems like every level that Dunning goes to, Jim, he's just shown that he's been very successful. He's also shown that he's been very healthy as well. And this is a spoiler alert, uh, but if I were to rank the White Sox top prospects, I have Dane Dunning now fifth within the White Sox farm system. Just because of the way that he's been able to demonstrate that he can go deep into games, he is getting the strikeouts, even though he moved up a level from winston-salem to birmingham that with the injuries to alec henson and with me still unsure with dylan cease i think maybe dane dunning is one of those guys that has jumped up this year where we could possibly see him in the mix after september in 2019 gets a call up and maybe he's competing for a roster spot with the white Sox in the rotation in 2020 i think that's the projection or at least the latter that dane dunning is going on and if he keeps pitching this well at every level that he goes to uh the white Sox will not be able to stop him <laughs> from joining their roster yeah. uh, he'll be definitely forcing the issue uh but again coin flip you can go either way two great first halves from dylan cease and dane dunning hopefully these guys can continue in the second half do you think dylan cease stays in winston-salem all year i don't think so i think he can be moved up um you know maybe not immediately um you know, maybe not right after the All-Star break, but you know, maybe at some point in early July. It seems like it makes sense to give him at least one full month in Birmingham, uh, maybe to end a season, figure out, give him a taste of it, uh, give him an idea of what he's going to face next year, like uh, we saw with Zach Collins. Uh, they did that with him, um, and, and, and they did it with Hanson, they did it with Kopech. So I think it give, makes sense to give him a taste of the next level, figure out even if he gets beat up towards the end of a year and he's tired, at least he'll have an idea of what hitters look like at that level. I, I have a feeling he may stay. Or if he does go to Birmingham, maybe he goes back to Winston-Salem for the postseason to start one of those games. Depending on the innings limit. Yeah. That's another thing I just thought of at the moment. I don't know if he's on an innings limit or not. That would obviously play a factor. I don't know. I I can go either way. I wouldn't mind if he stayed in Winston-Salem all year to continue to focus on staying in a routine, staying strong, go deep into games, be able to carry a starter's workload. Uh, but again, it would be great to see on how well he could handle that test moving to double-A because Birmingham needs better starting pitching. Uh, <laughs> and hopefully Alec Hansen's second start goes much better after the All-Star break. Okay, so best hitter, best pitcher, we got that taken care of. I think the next two are a lot more fun to discuss, especially this one, the Out of Nowhere Award. This is to a prospect that we had, we were paying no attention to, we were having no discussions about, not on any of the top prospect lists, and they're having a terrific first half 
that could be maybe forcing the issue and that we have to pay attention to this player because they are performing so well and maybe they do show a certain skill set that could possibly have them rise to the ranks and be successful and maybe someone you can dream on. And Jim, who would be your out-of-nowhere award winner? Well, I don't know if I answered this question correctly um, because I, there were some out of nowhere, you know, randomly good performances, like say Joel Booker and Winston Salem or Laz Rivera mm-hmm. in Canapolis, but they're old, a little bit old for the level, so you know, you don't quite know whether that's just experience winning over talent. So I went with Jordan Stevens, even though he's right. he's not quite out of nowhere, and he's an, he's known. He's been just kind of, I would say, maybe his starting performance is out of nowhere. Uh, he's been overlooked um, on prospect lists and overlooked in rotation plans. They figured there's no room for him with Giolito and Lopez and uh, Kopech and and uh, Hanson and so forth and Dunning. Um, but, you know, started the year in Birmingham. He outperformed Adams and Guerrero and was easily the top star at Birmingham. Goes up to Charlotte, outpitches Michael Kopech, who's struggling right now, outpitches Carson Fulmer. He just, you know, he finds a way to throw six good innings pretty much every time out. Um, even though he's gotten some lousy defense, I, I think at Birmingham especially, the defense let him down. And he seemed to just uh, kind of impervious to the circumstances around him and pitching better than, uh, you know, expectations would have him. And, and he's certainly pitching better than his peers uh, at both levels. So for the time being, um, you know, whether this will keep up or whether eventually, I imagine Kopech will write himself and maybe Dunning and Hanson still eclipse him. But for, but for the time being, he's making the most of kind of a lull in at the uh, uh, top level, or, or at least uh, the high minors pitching depth. Yeah, I like that. I like that pick. Because as you mentioned, he is just climbing over guys within yeah. the White Sox farm system. I, the most disappointing award, if there was one, but I didn't want to get negative, uh, was just on how poorly Adams, Guerrero, and even Ian Clarkin started this year. Yeah. Maybe it impacted on why that they started in Birmingham and not Char- Charlotte for Adams and Guerrero because they were repeating the level for a third time, but so did Stevens. And Stevens, as you mentioned, has taken the ball. And dare I say, has he climbed ahead of Carson Fulmer? Uh, as far as in the White Sox, possible starting pitching options in the future? Yeah, maybe. Like, um, you know, given that Fulmer's walking um, nearly a guy in inning at Charlotte, um, as a starter, yeah. I mean, the 40-man roster, Fulmer still has the edge, and if they needed an emergency call-up. But uh, right now, Stevens is um, building a more respectable body of work at Charlotte, I think we can say, um, over – uh, five or six innings at a time. I like that choice. My choice is Blake Battenfield for Canapolis. And for him in the first half, starting 13 games, 67 two-thirds innings, 69 strikeouts during that time, a just a two ERA. He's five and three on the year. And yes, he is dominating Canapolis and he is a junior pick from Oklahoma State last year in the late rounds. But with Kannapolis, especially with Battenfield, I mean, Lincoln Hensman has been pitching really well. John Park has been pitching really well. Cade McClure was pitching well before getting hurt on the relieving side. Tyler Johnson has been pitching well. These are some guys that are showing some interest. And I would would like to see how Battenfield would handle Winston-Salem. Because as you mentioned, Jim, like the, the players like Laz Rivera, they are a little bit older for the league. So is Battenfield. 
And it would be nice to see if Blake Badfield can take that type of success that he's having in Kannapolis and see if it transfers to Winston-Salem in the second half to also help him into the postseason as well. And this is a guy who had just awful command with Oklahoma State. And it's a very similar story with the White Sox on how they handled Alec Hansen with Badenfield. Badenfield joins the White Sox farm system, and all of a sudden the command issues are no there, no longer there. He makes the adjustments, and all of a sudden here's a guy who is walking five batters per nine innings in Oklahoma State, and now he just has 16 walks over 67 innings with Kannapolis. Uh, so I'm intrigued by him. He Maybe this is another guy that could be like a Jordan Stevens that can go up the system. Uh, but I like your pick, Jim, the out of nowhere, because while we've talked highly of Jordan Stevens and he may, we were talking more in the light of the, him being a dark horse. He has really hopped over guys this year and out of nowhere, Jordan Stevens, if the White Sox need a spot start and they don't feel comfortable with Michael Kopech, in the beginning of the year, we were talking about Spencer Adams and Jordan Guerrero maybe getting spot starts and said that might be Jordan Stevens. And that would be out of nowhere. I don't think anyone was predicting that Jordan Stevens would be starting any games for the White Sox in 2018. But it is a possibility now. Moving to our last one, and this is the most improved. And I think there are plenty of choices to go with for this category. But who did you give the most improved honors this was a tough one, and I settled on Luis Basabe. Great choice. Yeah, he has really turned it around this year. I was quite worried after 2017. With Basabe and as far as, like, especially the power gem, that is what has been surprising to me. I always thought that maybe he'd be like a slap hitter using his speed, but he's slugging 502 in the first half. Yeah, he's got... Uh... I think he's got more extra base hits um, than he had last season in half the games, roughly. Yes. So that's, yeah, that's nice to see, and I imagine the knee had a lot to do with it. The one thing that kind of concerns me about Basabe, but it might be something um, that's affecting all Winston-Salem players, is stolen, bait, uh, stolen base efficiency is awful, but I think Vizquel just has him running wild there, and I think they do run into a lot of outs, get picked off a lot. So I, I you know, as the season goes longer, you know, should Vizquel be in the system for another year? I wonder if they're going to say something about that. Just, you know, the base running, I understand the aggression and having guys, you know, pushing guys to their limits and such. But I do wonder if there are some bad habits being learned down there when you look at the way um, these guys are running into outs or getting caught stealing, getting picked off. There's just a lot of chances being taken and really aren't cashing in on them. Yeah, uh, Luis Wasabi is 7 for 15 in stolen base attempts. Alex Call is 4 for 10 in stolen base attempts. Uh, Joel Booker's uh, rate is way down compared to last year. Yeah, at least it's positive, though. It's 14 out of 23. I mean, that's not that great. Blake Rutherford's 8 out of 13. Tyquan Forbes is 3 out of 8. Yeah, that's a good point, Jim. Like, these are... These are not good rates. But for Basabe, though, 12 doubles, 5 triples, 9 home runs in the first half. What does this do for maybe his prospect rankings within the White Sox farm system? Is this somebody that we can dream on again? Or is this someone that we have to wait and see on how well he does at Birmingham? Well, he's only 21, so I think it restores his stock to where it was last season, uh, where he's maybe a fringe top 10 candidate. Um, I think last year he was punished maybe a bit too much and was really 
uh, you know, you, you look at top 15 lists and he wasn't there. And, and I thought that was a bit harsh given the, the knee situation. So the fact that he's you know, showing a lot of power at Winston-Salem, uh, showing his speed, still playing center field, seems like the package is still there that makes him intriguing. And, and like you mentioned with Birmingham being a wall, he would be the kind of guy who you know, might run into the wall there. Or uh, yeah, that, I think that would be kind of the make or break point for him in terms of his power and what he offers in that department and whether you know he, he can he can you know come up with 15 homers a year and a bunch of doubles and triples or if he's going to be somebody who is more of a fourth outfielder who can play defense and have a little bit of pop but can't hold a starting job anywhere yeah we see if he can improve upon the numbers like Tito Polo is putting up in Birmingham where I don't want to say that they're similar players I mean Polo's demonstrated good speed for Birmingham but yeah for Birmingham in the first half, Polo, Polo hit 245 with a 313 on base percentage and slugging 337. If Basabe could join Birmingham and can hit like 250 with a 320 on base percentage, but if he's slugging 450, then I think that would be that would be a good line, at least his first time around Birmingham. But I do see if I had to predict, Jim, I could see Basabe spending a couple of years in Birmingham. Just because, as you said, as far as his age, he's only 21 years old. Yeah. And uh, that might be difficult because even with Winston-Salem, yes, his on-base percentage is 370, but his strikeout rate is pretty high. Uh, and that could transfer over uh, to double A. Yeah. That may think it's difficult. He is on the 40-man roster, though, so that's one thing that might accelerate his timetable. Mm, that's true because this is his first year uh, option year so then you know next year will be two options remaining then so they kind of have to have an idea of what he's going to look like by 2020 i think going so so let's say you know we talked about Aloy jimenez right being promoted to charlotte if jimenez moves to charlotte is it basabe that takes his spot with birmingham in the second half seems like it just because he has repeated uh winston salem he's been there for a year and a half now and i think He's shown what he can do there, and I think uh, is you know, it'd be a good time to test his flaws. And I don't know if anybody else in uh, – I don't think Blake Rutherford has the power for Birmingham. He hasn't developed that yet enough. Uh, Mike Rodolfo is, you know, might be able to play outfield, but I think he's limited to DH um, enough. Joel Booker might be somebody who gets a look at Birmingham just because he – you know, he's 24. He's on the older side for the prospect in A-ball, and uh, he's, he's a collegiate player, so he has a lot of that kind of uh, – upper level amateur experience so you know Birmingham might not be all that daunting to him um, and it would be a good test for him too uh, and kind of along the lines of Asabe it might be a little bit uh, more plate discipline but um, you know a little less power and and you might not you know and that's what I was looking at his stolen bases 14 for 23 it's like I'd like to see it a little bit better for a guy like him and I'd like to see him in Birmingham just to see if maybe Birmingham's running habits make it, you know, make his rate a little bit better. But, yeah, I think there are a couple of guys that they can call up and, and take that spot. I don't know if you, they would be called up with immense expectations right away, but at least to understand what their limitations are and then see if they can conquer them over um, the remainder of this season and probably the bulk of 2019. My most improved is Zach Collins for the turnaround that he had in the first half. Again, Zach Collins started the yeah. year two for 34, and it seemed that one day he went back to his old college ways of his approach at the plate and his swing, and everything has clicked. He is His OPS is 850, 
Uh, he's hitting 267 with a 429 on base percentage and slugging 460. He's got nine home runs and he's got 20 extra base hits in total with 10 doubles and a triple. And yes, the strikeout rate is pretty high in double A and it still scares me a bit. It's at 29.8%, um, but he still has his walk rate still up at 22.6%. And, you know, I I haven't been the highest in Zach Collins. I think I've made that known. And when he started off poor, I was really, really concerned. Even when I was in Birmingham, I was concerned on his performance. But man, that guy has turned it around big time. And I'm really interested to see what happens in the second half. But the White Sox may also need to see what these guys can do in Charlotte. So when I say guys, Birmingham's catching duo of Zach Collins and Sebi Zavala both have made the all-star game. And Sebi had a good first half as well. But Sebi, obviously, with the walks, the strikeouts, is nowhere near on the level of Zach Collins is at. Is it time for Zach Collins to move up to Charlotte, Jim? Or would you even consider maybe even Sebi Zavala so that way both guys can be starting every day? Uh, maybe not immediately, just because I think Collins' catching skills are still lagging behind. And say if you want... Um, to graduate some starters, whether it's Stevens or Kopech, to the majors, you know, maybe having Collins receiving isn't the best thing for them. So, you know, maybe when some guys from Double A get pushed up, Adams is already there. So maybe you know, if if I wonder if Dunning can go up to Triple A at some point this year. Say if he handles uh, Birmingham really well through July and, and you know into early August, you know, maybe he gets shoved up there, but um, the reviews on his defense are still rather poor. So I think putting him in AAA, you know, kind of like we talked about with Eloy Jimenez, you know, him staying in Birmingham allows him to have a nice layer of protection when they try to call guys up because, you know, as long as he's in Birmingham, they can't call him up because he's never been to Charlotte. And I think it's kind of the same thing with Collins in that um, putting, keeping him in Birmingham with his receiving skills being as shaky as they are, um, kind of gives him a nice protective bubble to where major league considerations won't touch him. You know, whether they need a third catcher in September or before if they have a couple injuries like we saw with Alfredo Gonzalez being called up. You know, I think if you had Gonzalez and uh, Collins at that level and you needed one of them, it would be silly to call up Gonzalez because we saw him just kind of look overwhelmed in all facets of the game. But, uh, yeah, it's I, I guess I'd like to see more improvement and better reports on Collins before um, – calling him up. I think the balance has worked pretty well there between them, uh, Zavala and Collins, and maybe they can ride with that the full year, but I think maybe August might be the time to get some separation between the two of them. And then as we wrap this up, do you have any idea on who would be in your top five White Sox prospect list? Obviously not going as deep as other people are with 30, because obviously you have to sit down and really think about it and break it down. But if you were to come up with the top five right now for the White Sox prospect list, what would your top five be? So I think it's Eloy number one, Kopech number two, and Kopech's had a rough start, but I think there might be some personal issues underneath that, and and uh, you had a death in the family right before the first of three rough starts, so you know, that could be affecting him. And it's so out of character, these starts, that um, I'm inclined to think something is awry, but, you know, when it comes to a uh, pitcher who's vying for a major league rotation spot, I think you know that those struggles can only go on so long before uh, you scuttle talks of a promotion anytime soon. So, um, but for the time being, I have Kopech at two, um, three. Luis Roberts, I like the way he's 
Um, showed up in Kannapolis playing well. Um, looks like the, the he's having quality at bats. The speed is there. Um, power is a little bit lagging right now, but the the at bats seem good, so I like him at number three. Uh, number four might be Dane Dunning at this point. I mean, hmm. I'm going off the top of my head here, so uh, and and that could be in. Are we, are we counting the draft class or are we counting incumbents only? Well, you can count the draft class. Okay, then maybe. Madrigal four and Dunning five. That's my top five. Or maybe Dunning four order. and Madrigal five, but yeah. Yeah, that would be my top five as well. I, I went 13 deep. Because <laughs> the Collins is six, Hansen is seven because he dropped, because he's hurt. I have Cease eight, Stevens nine, Basabe ten, Rutherford 11. I like how the first half Blake Rutherford has had. I considered him for most improved uh, from his season last year. Adolfo, 12, Zavala, 13. And then you have guys like Ian Hamilton, Bernardo Flores that you have to consider as well. Uh, so maybe I could come up with the top 15 list. But, yeah, my five were Ilo Jimenez, Michael Kopech, Luis Robert, Nick Magical, and Dane Dunning. It'll be interesting to see where Nick Magical will start with. Do you think that they'll be aggressive with him and put him in Winston-Salem? Seems like they could. I, I don't think it would be terribly aggressive for a guy like him. Um, you know, with, with his hit tool the way it is, I don't think Kannapolis will show him all that much that College World Series pitching hasn't. Yeah, he could hit 350 in Kannapolis. I, I would be, I would not be shocked if he hit that well with Kannapolis. I just figure it'd be a bit aggressive, but I like it if they do put Nick Magical with the Winston Salem dash. And hey, again, like I said, he'll be hitting the postseason again uh, later this year. Uh, after the College World Series. But that will do it for our first half recap of the minor leagues. And, of course, you guys had plenty of questions this week filling up our mailbag for P.O. Socks. And that's next on the Socks Machine Podcast. You've stuffed our mailbox all week with questions from your tweets and Facebook posts. Now to cure your curiosity on the White Sox, here is P.O. Socks. Thanks, Rob. And yes, this is our favorite part of the show where you, the fans and listeners, get to ask the questions. It's P.O. Socks, where you submitted your questions to us via Twitter by following us on Twitter at Socks Machine, posting our questions on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Socks Machine, or helping support the show and the website by becoming a friend of the podcast, signing up on patreon.com slash Socks Machine. And to dive into your questions right away, Our first question comes from Noah. Noah, who is very gracious in providing copies of Hawk's new book to give out at the meetup. So thank you so much, Noah, for doing that. And Noah's asking, Jim, by starting Rondon, Cedeno, and Gomez in AAA and bringing Bummer and a bunch of 2017 holdovers north, did Rick Hahn limit his ability to make Anthony Swarzak, Tommy Canely, Dan Jennings' deadline moves this year, I don't think so. I think he just picked the wrong guys because the way Juan Manaya and Gregory Infante finished the season, they looked like somebody, you know, a couple of relievers who could potentially be flipped if they had any improvement left in them. And I think Nate Jones was kind of the same thing coming back. Um, unfortunately, he's back on the DL again, but if he were able to pick up where he left off, um, you know, his last full healthy season, at least look even 90% of that, he might've been one of the top relievers on the market and said, that's probably not going to happen this year. Danny Farquhar, you know, nobody could predict what happened to him. And, um, you know, so that's just, uh, you know, 
really unfortunate, but um, when it comes to the relievers who are brought up, I don't know if time's run out. I mean, Bruce Rondone's had enough time, I think, where he's proved that he's got a really live arm, and sometimes he's unhittable and sometimes he isn't, and I don't think teams will be all that enamored with him just based on his track record with Detroit still being fairly uh, prevalent in his profile and, and and not being something he's completely disproven at this point. And Cedeno, I think, uh, you know, for him, he's going to have to prove it maybe, like you said, all the way up to July 30th or July 31st because he's been in the minors for so long. But he also has a pretty good track record in Tampa Bay as a credible left-handed reliever to the point where if he – if your team looks at that record and then sees you know two good months with the White Sox, that might be enough to you know trade him in his last year before a free agency. So time isn't running out on them. I think Jenmar Gomez is the one guy who at one point when the White Sox are looking really bad, I predicted that he would lead the team in saves. Uh, maybe the time's not run out on that if they trade Joaquin Soria, but uh, ultimately I think you know when, given that you know Soria. Uh, Gomez isn't a huge fastball, huge slider guy. He's a fastball changeup guy. I think his ceiling is rather limited. So, yeah, I, I think the bullpen, in order to get a killer return for any reliever, I think it had to be Nate Jones leading the way. And I think with anybody else being the top trade candidate, there's only so much you can get, and you have to set your sights for a Anthony Swarzak type return. And I think Gomez might be the guy to get that done. Or, sorry, um, Cedeno might be the guy to get that done. Thanks for your question, Noah. Our next question comes from Juan Rod. And Juan is asking, Jim, what changes have been made in the system to improve the prospects' hitting abilities? It's been since Maglio Dornez, Carlos Lee, Joe Creedy, Aaron Rowan era since our position prospects have hit ceilings with their bats. Well, I think right now patience is the biggest change, first and foremost. Um, you know, for a long time when Buddy Bell was running the system and when the White Sox were trying to contend and trying to, you know, throw guys into positions and hope they would be adequate. Um, they really didn't give guys time to develop uh, into, you know, their their fullest extent. Um, and, and, you know, whether Gordon Beckham was rushed or, um, you know, guys like, you know, say, the first iteration of Yolmer Sanchez and such, um, you know, you can see you know, arguments that they just were never fully flesh hitters and also you know not investing much in internationally, not investing much in the draft before those um, rules were changed. I, I think uh, the kind of structure underneath the system is different. Now, whether they have the coaching um, or whether they have the, I guess, infrastructure uh, instruction-wise to get the job done remains to be seen. I think, you know, when, you, when we talk about Yolmer and Larry Sanchez, I think there are different cases because they're switch hitters and they're switch hitters playing regularly. And we're seeing that with Mankata this year, that switch hitting is tough to finish. And, and um, you know, you're, you're hoping that they're lopsided best early on. And with uh, Sanchez and Garcia, Garcia couldn't hit at all when he came up. So the fact that Garcia has turned into a credible major league center fielder is pretty good. And and I think with uh, Avi, he's a case where, you know, maybe he was rushed or maybe, you know, it just took him years of major league failure to figure it out, but he reached all-star status. So, um, yeah, there there is the case that the White Sox have been able to get through to guys. It's just taken a little bit longer than usual. And the hope is that the patience underneath it all, that, you know, keeping Eloy Jimenez in Birmingham for longer than he should be, keeping Zach Collins as a hitter in Birmingham when maybe they would have tried to call him up to Charlotte already. Um, 
I think the hope is there that the White Sox are taking this very seriously, taking uh, and and not taking any chances with being accused they can be rushed. And you know that I think right now is the biggest contributing factor into whether these guys turn out differently. But um, Todd Steverson has been kind of isolated, I think, you know, surprisingly so from the rebuild and um, you know. I think they brought him in to be a top-down guy to kind of set the agenda for the rest of the hitters in AAA and AA and such. So I think if you know somebody like Jimenez comes up and struggles, if Moncada comes up and doesn't figure it out, if Anderson kind of stagnates, um, then you might see Steverson start to feel it, and they might have to reevaluate how they've been teaching hitters. But for right now, here's hoping that patience and, and allowing these guys to accrue double-A and triple-A bats, allowing them to struggle, you know, encounter their first struggles at double-A and triple-A rather than, you know, taking some hot streak and, and bumping them up to the majors and that's where they first have a career crisis. You know, maybe that's the biggest uh, um, change and I'm, I'm hoping it is the, the biggest reason why the White Sox all of a sudden can finish hitters. Juan, thank you so much for your question. Our next question comes from Brian Motherway. And Brian is asking, Jim, do you see Lurie Garcia as a viable trade candidate? Not this year, just because he's never been able to, at, you know, at the time he's been able to show himself to be a highly valuable utility player and maybe even a spot starter in center field. I think, you know, he's somebody who you might not want as your plan A in center field, but if injuries happen and he's somebody you have to start in center for a month, you're not in terrible shape. And... As he's reached his form, he hasn't been able to stay healthy. And I think uh, that's the one reason why I think teams would just say, well, you know, he's had a good month here and there, but I'm not going to give up anything for him. And as we've seen with the White Sox, they can still use somebody like him to plug gaps. I think the roster is a lot stronger when he's on the bench as your fourth out, outfielder slash infielder rather than having some kind of combination of Trace Thompson and Jose Rondon trying to cover all the positions that he handles on the depth chart. So I think... This year, if Larry comes back and is, you know, okay in the rest of June or, you know, if he's able to come back in June or the bulk of July, I don't know if that'll, you know, I guess tilt the needle enough for a team to want to give up anything of value for him. And I still think he serves a purpose on the White Sox into, you know, the rest of the season. Maybe in the offseason he becomes somebody of interest, you know, for a team that, you know, might need somebody like him to fill out the roster. And maybe the White Sox have four outfielders they can rotate through and Larry is more of a novelty at that point but for the time being I still think he's somebody who makes the roster a lot easier for Rick Renteria to manipulate over the course of the season without having the kind of talent outages like they've had over the past couple weeks where they have nothing in the bottom third of the lineup. And thank you to everybody who submitted questions this week for P.O. Sox. If you have a question or topic that you would like Jim and I to tackle on the show. Again, follow us on Twitter. We're at Sox Machine. And you can also like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash Sox Machine. And support us on patreon.com slash Sox Machine if you like to receive extra content from us every single week, whether it is writing with Jim's mailbags or extra content from the podcast, being able to ask questions to our guests and ask additional P.O. Sox questions that we answer every single week. You can go to patreon.com slash Sox Machine to sign up today and help support both the website and the podcast. We greatly appreciate everyone's support so far. We're up to 186 supporters, so thank you guys so much for your continued support, and welcome to all the new folks uh, that have recently signed up. 
And that will do it for this edition of the Sox Machine Podcast. If you just discovered the show, you can listen to us in a variety of ways. One is through iTunes by going to the iTunes store and search for Sox Machine. When you do subscribe to the show, if you can leave us a review, love to hear your feedback. We're also in Spotify, Google Play Music, and audioboom.com slash Sox Machine. The Sox Machine Podcast is a production for SoxMachine.com, your source for everything Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.